Welcome to Ed Talks, an audio podcast presented by Achieve Minneapolis in partnership with the Citizens League. Ed Talks is a lively series of community conversations about public education and related issues that impact our young people. Each Ed Talks features two compelling short presentations by cutting edge educators, youth advocates, students, artists, or community leaders. Ed Talks is supported by a generous grant from the Bush Foundation. This Ed Talks is titled Exploring the Loss of Language and Identity in Education. Our featured speaker is Lycia Vang. Lycia is a senior at Roseville Area High School. Her work as a queer Hmong activist is focused on healing, solidarity, and storytelling with marginalized youth to amplify and encourage community growth and initiatives. She is co-chair of the Equity Alliance Minnesota Youth Executive Board, a facilitator at Becoming Organizers, Becoming Advocates, and an at-large representative for the Minnesota Youth Council. Lycia regularly facilitates and speaks at community events, professional development workshops, statewide conferences, and panels to advocate for racial justice, educational equity, mental and sexual health, and LGBTQ rights. Lycia is a native Hmong speaker who experienced the erasure of her native Hmong language while participating in English language learners, ELL classes. She will explore the common experience that is shared by many students of color and others for whom English is not their first language. She'll also identify ways that our education systems must support and advocate for multilingual students and families by understanding what is at stake when language is lost. This virtual ed talk was live streamed on February 23rd, 2020. Nyajong. Gulumbe huo laitia, guluseng hiava, guhailumong vikuyamong tia dao kaohyong, gutaujipao hailumong nuna gusanto zuki tia gupao hailumong meimeisu. Hello, I am a senior at Rosal Area High School, and after all these years from K through 12, education is a vital part of who I am and who I want to become. Language, or the lack of it, is an integral part of whether or not you succeed or are left behind. A mentor once told me, ELL is a system that makes you lose your language. And one day, when you want to learn it again, it is typically in college where you have to pay. Or in other words, the system makes you lose your language and then benefits from it once you attempt to relearn. While it may be unintentional, this is a cycle of capitalism, white supremacy, and cultural assimilation. I grew up talking about losing our language and culture with my siblings, yet there never seemed to be any notable solutions. My first language is Hmong. For the first four years of my life, that's all I knew. A tiny Hmong girl obsessed with Dora the Explorer and passionate about playing with my siblings. And then I went to kindergarten and was enrolled in ELL, the English Language Learners Program. Today, about one in four public school students are an English language learner. In Minnesota, the three largest public school districts with EL students are St. Paul, Minneapolis, and Anoka Hennepin. The top three primary home languages include Spanish, Somali, and Hmong. Yet, 
no matter where they go to school, most ELs are struggling because they have little or no access to quality instruction that is tailored to their needs. I remember leaving my classroom for ELL. The room was tiny, like an exercise walk-in closet. It had no windows and it was typically hidden in a back corner. Sometimes I would be by myself or with a group of peers. And I would miss the general classroom content because I had to leave to do my EL learning. I would have to catch up with this content with my general education teacher on their own time or attempt to learn it by myself. This continues to be an issue that many EL students experience today. I was lucky. I got out of EL by the end of third grade and I was a great student, fluent in English, great at reading and writing. I was a success story. However, as time passed in this program, I spoke less and less Hmong. Schools discouraged the use of any other language that was not English. It was also because I, I wanted to run away from the fact that I was Hmong. At family gatherings, all I would say was oh, which means okay, or kuchipau, meaning I don't know, and tatsi, which is sorry. That's all I knew for 10 years. That's all I did for 10 years. When I lost my language, I also lost my people. My connection to the people who fled during the Vietnam and secret war, who traveled from refugee camp to refugee camp, who nearly died crossing the Mekong River, a mile-long swim, Half of the Hmong died there, who begged for another plane to come. After fighting for the, and dying for the CIA, for America. Hmong people have experienced mass genocide, exploitation by the CIA, wars, and continued failed policies. In the secret in Vietnam War, the elders were all soldiers. Our language, our history, is primarily never taught in K through 12. When our elders are gone, we will know nothing of who we are. Our elders are the carriers of history, the carriers of the Hmong language, and I don't know it. Many of us Hmong youth don't know it at all. Language is a connector to culture. In America, it's extremely difficult to maintain that connection. And so when you lose one aspect, it has a tremendous impact. Because I didn't connect to my culture or maintain my language, nor did I see myself at school, I was ashamed of who I was. I hated being Hmong, or really because I wasn't white. I didn't fit into the American ideal. I didn't fit in. This led me to loathe my culture. And at the time, I thought the Hmong culture was a division of sexes. Women confined to the kitchen and men at a table, talking and drinking beer, free from responsibility. A traditional bride price and the freedom of a woman seized and replaced with motherhood. 
a clear distinction between a progressive America and a conservative Hmong. All of my siblings went through this, this hatred, this shame, this loneliness. I have a younger sister. She's in fourth grade, and I'm afraid she's going through this too. Just by living in America and being different, you lose a piece of yourself, your truth, your connection. I began my journey of self-love when I, about three years ago, when I attended a youth leadership retreat and learned about Asian American history and our contributions in activism. Had I not gone, I most likely would have started my journey even later, or possibly not even begin. I'm lucky that I have opportunities to connect with my Asian American community today, but not all have this. Today, there are still some traditional Hmong aspects, but today with the younger generations, things are changing. The Hmong are a story of resistance and resilience. We have fought and fought and fought for a better future, and we will continue to do this until justice occurs. My sister is also an ELL at the moment, even though she doesn't know any Hmong. Nothing, nothing at all. We never taught her or even spoke it at home because at that point, we lost her language. We cannot share our language with her. Losing a language is one thing. Never knowing it is a completely different experience. EL wasn't always like this. There was a time before it, before this version even began. In Ohio of 1839, the first bilingual education law implemented a German and English language program. Similar laws were also created in Louisiana and New Mexico for French and Spanish instruction. Soon, more and more states ratified dual language instruction. However, with World War I and the rise of xenophobia and discrimination against language minorities, this trend declined and English-only laws increased. Students with limited English skills began to suffer. In 1968, more than a century later, the Bilingual Education Act created a return to bilingual instruction in many of America's schools. Then it was reviewed and updated in the 1980s and 90s, and later incorporated under No Child Left Behind in 2002. Today, we have been falling behind in supporting EL students and families. ELLs are often concentrated in schools with untrained or poorly trained teachers. The shortage of teachers who can work with this population is a big problem in a growing number of states. Funding for EL programs comes almost entirely from local and state sources, leading to many issues if these sources are inconsistent. Schools often have crowded classroom space, lack sufficient educational resources, and a lack of a responsive school climate that may unintentionally result in the failure of students. States have the power to create procedures for identifying and teaching ELs that meet national standards. Because of this, EL can look entirely different from state to state, from district to district. The three primary EL models used in the United States for service delivery are English as a second language, pullout, transitional bilingual, and dual language. 
the most used program is the ESL pullout model. It is the least effective and the most expensive that requires removing students from their classrooms and meets for 30 to 45 minutes a day or longer. These students will miss their daily instructions in these classrooms and the ESL teacher has limited time to meet with the teacher for planning and individualization. The transitional bilingual model provides ELs with instruction in their native language and English. The goal is to convert ELs to English instructions. The dual language model is designed to inclusively engage students with their native language and English. The classroom dynamics reflect collaborative learning where ELs help English speakers to grasp the curriculum and English speakers help ELs to acquire the curriculum through English. The dual language model is cost efficient and has a reliable success rate. I support the dual language model for if I experienced it, I would still probably be proficient in Hmong. There are so many ways to better support EL programs and support EL students. One way is having an organized and supportive classroom environment. We also need positive teacher and child interactions. A long friend of mine told me about her experience in EL where she was stuck in there for years because her teacher believed she did not know English. But it wasn't because she didn't know English. It wasn't because she seemed incapable of grasping English proficiency. Rather, she was uncomfortable in her presence. She didn't feel welcomed or empowered, especially in a predominantly white school with a lack of diverse narratives and representation. This is why she was timid, because how can you thrive in an environment with no positive reflections of yourself? These relationships mean more than you think and can further support EL students in reaching their academic potential. We also need skilled teachers. Programs should hire and utilize teachers with specialized training and preparation in working with ELs as well as ongoing training. As well as increasing teacher's salary, educators do so much and our society needs to value them more than what we are doing today. There is also family engagement. Programs should have put effort to respect, involve, and educate EL families. When the family feels involved in the program, higher learning outcomes can be expected. It is important to keep in mind that families of ELs do not always have the same opportunities and familiarity with the educational process that many English-speaking parents have. These parents can be uncomfortable with schools, leading to their reluctance to get involved. Some feel that their own beliefs about education are ignored or undervalued, and some parents actually are ignored and undervalued by school teachers and administrators that prefer influential parents and community members. EL programs must make an especial effort to invite parents of ELs in order to bridge our current gap in EL students' lives at home and at school. We also need to learn and correctly pronounce names. I used to go by Lai Chia. I had to conform my name to make it easier for others, especially white people, to pronounce. It was never my name. But because it made my life easier and less humiliating to explain and re-explain, I was called that for the past 15 years. But my name is Lai Chia. Throughout history, renaming has been used to colonize, 
dehumanize, and take away power and freedom of many, many communities. It is a microaggression when you continue to mispronounce and have a lack of effort to learn. Let's also recognize African American vernacular English, or AAVE, as a language. Too often it is stigmatized and deemed inferior compared to academic language. Here I gave you some solutions, but let us remember that EL can be used as a tool of oppression when it is framed as a solution to a flaw in an individual that does not speak English. Ethnocentric thinking in America believes that English is normal in society and should be the start of language learning. Too many times, the goal is replacing the native language with English. And this comes from many people, whether that is the student, family member, or teacher. It is imperative for us to invite our students to the table and empower them to share their lives, interests, and abilities, and then tie them to the curriculum. When EL students are included in curriculum building, they receive an education that informs them of diverse cultures and societal views that includes and affirms their own cultures. We then allow them to understand that they are worthwhile and important human beings and students. We must include resistance and resilience, oppression and joy, for we are more than the trauma and pain we have experienced. EL students will learn that their culture and language are key identities to who they are and that conforming to white ideals is not the goal. Although the United States has no official language at the federal level, the de facto national language is English. The use of English is reinforced everywhere in America, making it valuable while excluding other languages. We can see that when non-English is spoken in public spaces and then are questioned, seen as inferior or alien by complete strangers. My grandparents experienced this. They were told to go back to their country repeatedly, probably way more than I was told, and it's infuriating. Yet this is something that happens every day to people of color, whether or not they speak English in public. Language loss is often associated with oppression. In education, the United States has a history of suppressing non-English languages to, to promote assimilation and cultural loss of speakers, such as indigenous boarding schools. I would argue we're still doing it today. It's not as obvious. It's not as intentional. Rather, it is good intentions that are fueling this loss of language and oppression. Good intentions do not make up for the harm and erasure that is happening. Flawed practice is enforcing cultural assimilation and white supremacy. Good intentions are not enough to repair this damage and constant cycle of language and cultural loss. We must act by implementing policy that helps EL programs and participants, improve teaching and curriculum with professional developments, and involve youth voices and ideas that are meaningful rather than performative. This involves every person in education, for we hold an enormous amount of influence on language acquisition and language loss. Language loss can destroy a sense of self-worth and identity. And let us remember that language death does not happen in privileged communities. Language is power. 
and it decides and controls what we know and do not know. It impacts us way more than we think. And if we think that language loss is okay or for the betterment of an individual, we have succumbed to the exact methods and ideologies that stripped away indigenous communities of their language and cultures at boarding schools. Change is desperately needed, and this is only the beginning of a conversation that is yet to even start. How will the role of language play into our education system now and in the future? Only 63% of ELs graduate from high school, compared with the overall national rate of 82%. I am graduating this year, and I think about how far I've come to get here. Constant stress, depression, and anxiety, losing my language and attempting to relearn it, multiple major historical events, and more. And I'm glad I've gotten this far and still have so much to look forward to this upcoming year. Yet, I know that there is a large portion of us who will not get to receive their diploma. That after all this time, our education system failed these students and families and will continue to fail them. From Mariam Cabo's We Do This Till We Free Us, she says, let's begin our journey not with the question, what do we have now, and how can we make it better? Instead, let's ask, what can we imagine for ourselves and the world? I imagine that speaking English no longer correlates with being an American. That non-English spoken in public spaces will no longer be questioned, seen as inferior or alien. That there continues to be no official language in the United States, because if there is, it will only serve as an act to enforce xenophobia and discrimination against language minorities. That conforming to white society is no longer a regular experience for marginalized communities. And that we maintain our native language and learn about our people in K through 12 education. That my younger sister can learn Hmong without having to pay for courses. That after all these years, I can finally say more than oh, kuchipao and pauti. Thank you. Ed Talks is presented by Achieve Minneapolis in partnership with the Citizens League. Thanks to our generous sponsor, the Bush Foundation. For more information on Ed Talks or to watch Ed Talks videos or listen to audio podcasts, visit achievempls.org.